but it's human nature to focus on the bad things. Just like a comedian I heard once, he said, I got so many, I got thousands and thousands of comments online about how great of a comedian I was and how funny I was. But it was those one or two people that hated me. That's all I thought about. Welcome to Book Therapy. I'm your host, Kim Patton. There's no way to count how many books are floating around in this world. Some are decent, some are truly terrible, and some are great. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into one great book. Together, we will discover gems of truth and encouragement to help you face your current season of life. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's get this party started. Hello, hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Um, Before we jump into the episode, I wanted to give you some good news. My book, Nothing Wasted, Struggling Well Through Difficult Seasons, is about to release. October 24th is the release date, and you'll be able to get it on paperback, ebook, or audiobook. If you want to order a signed copy and get it early, I'm hoping to get those books sent out so that you'll get them around October 24th. So that's another special little perk. You can go to my website, kimpatton.com, and click on order signed copy. I'm so excited for you guys to read it. I think that um, it's really going to encourage the hearts of many. So let's get this party started. (laughs) Let's dive into the book. Today we are talking about You Are Not a Crappy Parent, How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break by Carla Nomberg. Okay, so my very first disclaimer is that that is not the title. (laughs) The title is different. However, my version of it is You Are Not a Crappy Parent. So her name is spelled Carla Numberg, C-A-R-L-A-N-A-U-M-B-U-R-G. So if you want to look it up, go for it. It's a great book. We're talking about it because it offers so many perspective shifts and mind mindset shifts that I think are critical for having a great attitude while parenting. So I got so much out of it. I mean, there's a ton of bookmarks that I used in this while I was reading it. I just feel compelled to share it with those who need. It's going to help those who are really hard on themselves. I am 100% harder on myself than I need to be. Like the subtitle says, it's helping you practice self-compassion. There is a lot of language throughout the book, and I don't agree with the worldview of the author in various cases. But like I said, I got so much out of it, I can't help but share. We're going to talk about three things we can tell ourselves. The first thing we can tell ourselves is, I can take care of myself without trying to fix myself. The author uses a lot of metaphors in this book that really help give you a practical situation in which you have made probably choices before that you don't love, and now moving forward, you want to do things better. She gives you a way out. She gives you a practical how-to of this is the situation, this is what you normally do, and you don't love how you feel afterwards, so how do we go at it from a different way? and handle it better the next time. She says on page 61, it's easy to see how self-pity can get confused with self-compassion. Both involve acknowledging our own suffering, to be sure, but unlike self-compassion, which is about trying to ease our own pain, self-pity is about wallowing in it. 
It's when we get all wound up and worked up about how miserable and pathetic we are and how terrible our lives are and how we deserve every single crappy arrow the universe keeps sending our way. We become completely absorbed in our own struggles and suffering, unable to consider any other perspectives or possibilities. While it can feel good in the moment to melt into our misery, eventually the pity party will end as every party does. And all we've done is annoy everyone around us and reinforce our underlying beliefs that we do in fact suck. Okay, I have been the queen of pity parties more times than I can count, and that's embarrassing to admit, but it's true. And it's one thing that I I want to change. So when I read this, I see that nobody benefits when I am stuck in a circle of self-pity and wallowing. There comes a time when you're in this pit that you have to get out because you're not doing yourself or anyone any good. So what she says to kind of get us away from that feeling is to instead have self-compassion and self-care and not shoot yourselves down so much, but really come alongside yourself in the moment. It sounds weird. And offer care and compassion and kind of work through it together without wallowing in the self-pity for so long. She says on page 65, when we approach these same behaviors from a place of care and compassion and a desire to take care of rather than fix ourselves, it's a completely different experience. We're not shooting ourselves all over again. We're tending to our wounds and doing our best to avoid future pain whenever possible, all the while knowing that it will never be entirely possible and that's okay. It's the difference between a friend telling us we look like crap and need to pull our lives together and that same friend taking the time to listen and invite us to take a hike or join them in a class. I think the premise for this whole book is just teaching you to be a friend to yourself. Think about what you say to your friends. You may be honest with them and you may tell them the truth, but you're not going to berate them. You're not going to push them down and discourage them and use the kind of words that we use on ourselves. For example, I've had a hard time in parenting realizing when I make mistakes or when I'm a kind of person with the girls that I'm not really proud of. I have a hard time getting past that like forgiving myself, even if I've even asked the girls to forgive me or my husband or whatever, God, I still have a hard time forgiving myself. I had a conversation with Kevin and he said, okay, you know, those days are going to happen and those things are going to be true. But at the end of the day, he said, I don't want you to dwell on what you did wrong. I want you to dwell on what went right, what was good, what was beautiful, what was fun. And as we think about our days, there's one million things that happen in a day, but it's human nature to focus on the bad things. Just like a comedian I heard once, he said, I got so many, I got thousands and thousands of comments online about how great of a comedian I was and how funny I was, but it was those one or two people that hated me. That's all I thought about. It's really easy to get stuck on the negative and it's really easy to get hard on ourselves when, what did I do for my girls today? I fed them meals and snacks. I took care of them. I dressed them. I sang with them. I walked with them outside. We played together. We sang together. I hugged them when they come came running up to me. There are going to be moments where I'm a less than perfect mom, obviously. <laughs> but that's not what I want to think about at the end of the day. I can always offer my failings to the Lord and ask him to forgive me and give them to him as, you know, all I have to give to him. 
and ask for forgiveness and just the strength to, you know, do better next time. But when I lay in bed at night, I want to think about the beautiful interactions I had with my girls that day. And that's what my husband was trying to get me to do. Just he was offering me to have self-compassion in the moment when what was easy for me was to beat myself up. She says on page 174, you need kindness and compassion and forgiveness and a few minutes to relax and breathe and tend to your wounds, the wounds that life inevitably afflicts on every single one of us. But you don't need to be fixed. She talks about this often, how we try to fix ourselves like we are terrible, broken people. I do obviously agree that we live in a broken world and we all struggle with sin nature. So we are broken. But if I view myself as something broken needing to be fixed, that's not viewing myself the way God views me. God views me as a woman made in the image of him for a purpose and for good reason. So when he looks at me, obviously he sees a redeemed sinner and he's not trying to fix me. Through the help of his Holy Spirit, he helps me become a better person. He helps me become more like Christ. But I am not something broken that needs to be fixed. I am constantly offering myself to God as an offering because it's all I have. But he doesn't view me that way. He views me as his child and he loves his children and he loves them so much he will discipline them. There's going to be enough in life that's going to try to bring me down. I don't need to be a part of that process. I want to learn to take care of myself with the same kind of care and compassion that I take care of others. Okay, number two, the second thing we can tell ourselves is not everything is my fault or in my control. Why do we think that everything is our fault? This is a really sad example, but there's been many narratives that I've heard, whether it's on TV or in a book or in real life, where a person dies or a person suffers some great tragedy and another person feels like they're to blame. There's many times where this plays out where we think that, oh my goodness, it's our fault that this happened. She says on page 38, another powerful factor at play is confirmation bias, the deeply human tendency to hold ourselves responsible for that which is beyond our control is both a cause and effect of the parent stories we tell ourselves. Once we've decided for whatever reason that we suck, our brains continue to seek out, interpret, and remember evidence in ways that confirm that belief. This doesn't mean it's true, and it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us. It's just how our brains work. The more you tell yourself something, the more you're going to believe that it's true. That's pretty obvious thought science. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist, so don't quote me on that. But not everything is my fault, and not everything is within my control. This comes into play a lot with children's behavior. We think that it's our fault, like we're doing something wrong to explain why they're acting that way. Well, just look up their development schedule and, and see the, where, where they're supposed to be developing right now. And chances are, most of the behaviors our children do are because that's how they're developing. That's the stage of the development that they're in right now. It's not because you're doing something wrong. You're doing something right. You're there. You're paying attention. You're watching them. You're helping them. You're guiding them through it. On page 56, she says, Parenting becomes much easier and less stressful when you can step back from the chaos and judgment and remember that you don't have to solve every problem and that you don't have to be a perfect parent in order to be a good one. 
So there are days when everything goes wrong. You're trying to get out of the house or you're trying to get somewhere and do something with some people and things just aren't falling into place. Well, in that moment, can we take a step back and say, okay, I'm rushing my children or I'm trying to people please. I'm trying to look good in front of these other people or I'm desperate for this and so I have to get the kids out of the house. We all have to get there in order for me to do the thing that I want to do. I think that there's wisdom in slowing down and recognizing why am I in a hurry? What am I really trying to do here? What am I really feeling? And why am I pushing everybody else to conform to my agenda right now? Because there's a lot of truth in those hidden motives. And sometimes I don't even recognize it myself until I really slow down and think about what I'm doing. And then I'm a lot easier on my family because I realize they're not to blame at all. And I'm not even really to blame. There's just something going on in me that I need to figure out what it is and how to meet that need with care and compassion. I love, love, love this metaphor she gives on page 89. It says that our feelings are like the weather. It's not our fault. We can't control it. And it will pass. <laughs> There's a lot to be said about feelings. And I promise you, I am not your person to talk to about that. <laughs> Please go find someone else. Um, but this has helped me a lot. Our feelings can pass like the weather. And I've actually found that with anger, I didn't think that it would pass. Like I didn't think that in the moment I could let anger pass like a cloud in the sky. You see a cloud, it drifts across the sky, and then it's gone. I would never think that anger would be like that. But it it has proven to be true for me. There have been some moments where I am like blood pressure high, heartbeat high, red in the face, and I'm thinking, I need just, I just need to walk away. And I do. I walk away. I go somewhere else. I shut the door if I have to. Or I just like separate from the situation. And I don't think this is the same as running away for me. Because I know what it's like to want to run away and, and or actually, you know, run away. But walking away and letting the anger pass has helped me a lot. Because it showed me that it's not as powerful as I thought. The anger doesn't have to win. The anger doesn't have to stay. It's worth evaluating why I was angry in the first place, but having the feeling and the sensation of anger in my body and then walking away and giving it a chance to dissipate has helped a lot. Lastly, the third thing we can tell ourselves is I need kindness and compassion. She says on page 66, self-compassion is about recognizing the chaos of parenting for what it is, the inherent unpredictability of life with kids and not blaming ourselves for any of it. It's about noticing when we're down and choosing not to kick ourselves yet again. Compassion helps us shift out of fight or flight mode and into tend and befriend. She goes on to say that tend and befriend is a surprisingly useful way to deal with the roughest moments of modern parenting. When we know our babies are healthy and safe, we can relax. And when we know we're not alone in keeping them safe, parenting feels much easier. She goes on to talk more about self-care and what that means. And if you've been around me for the last few years, I have a real beef with self-care 
and motherhood. I really don't know how how it connects. Um, I'm still working through that. And it's I still just have a hard time figuring out how and when and where and why and what it really means to take care of yourselves as you're taking care of other people. But here's the smallest thing we can get out of this. We have to be kind and compassionate to ourselves. I have been hard on myself for way too many years. I want to learn how to give myself grace. Because how much better am I going to be at teaching my kids to be kind and compassionate to each other and to themselves if I'm able to model that and if I'm able to internalize that? There are always going to be things to deal with. There's always going to be sin to confess. There's always going to be a better way to do things or a shift will need to happen. But at the root of it is kindness and compassion because isn't that what we all want anyways like don't we want someone to be gentle with us one really cool tip she has here um, it was given to her by someone else when she worked in a psychiatric unit they advised her never be scared alone i think that's really important when you're parenting when you're taking care of other people when you're busy when you're struggling reach out to someone There have been many days where I've just had to make a phone call just because I didn't want to be alone or I felt alone and I wanted to just reach out and be comforted by the presence of another person. Okay, so we talked about three things we can tell ourselves. I can take care of myself without trying to fix myself. Not everything is my fault or in my control. I need kindness and compassion. I want to end with this list because this is so beautiful and it has really helped in some of the harder moments. It's near the end of the book. She gives practical examples and mantras that you can say to help you get through some hard moments. It's a hard day. It's a hard moment. That's okay. I'm a good mother, father, parent. This sucks, but it will pass. I love and accept myself just as I am. I can take the time to take care of myself. That lady in the book says I'm not a crappy parent, so maybe I'll believe her. (laughs) I'm not alone. This is hard for all of us. Just breathe. Keep breathing. Parenting is really hard. That doesn't mean I'm doing it wrong. I have two favorites of those. First of all, it's a hard day. It's a hard moment. That's okay. Just seeing it for what it is and not trying to change it or blame anyone or feel like it's my fault. Just this is this is hard. This is a hard moment and that's okay. And then also, I'm not alone. This is hard for all of us. One thing that has really helped me is just thinking about, hey, there's other people going through what I'm going through right now. There's other moms home with their kids. There's other moms struggling with potty training. There's other women that are trying to do it all and feeling like they're failing. Even finding just one other person just to have a conversation with about like, hey, what's going great for you right now and what's really hard? Because everybody has an answer to that question. And just reminding ourselves that we are really not alone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Book Therapy. Today we talked about You Are Not a Crappy Parent, How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break by Carla Nomberg. She has other books and um, this book is so funny, so full of metaphor and examples that just really help you feel less alone in your parenting journey. I recommend it to anyone who is just feeling like they're battling negative self-talk. This is a good way to 
kind of dig out of that rut that we find ourselves in sometimes. All right, see you next time.